This is the What Matters Most podcast. A 100% listener-supported program. And now, here is your host, Paul Samuel Dolman. Welcome back to What Matters Most. I was just enjoying our guest. I'm going to bring him on in a minute. He is in Denmark, in Copenhagen, or Copenhagen, and we are just so grateful, all of us involved here, at the worldwide audience. We are having guests from all over the world and people that write in from all over the world who share their stories, who have guest suggestions. I love the audience. It's amazing, and you guys really helped me grow. Today's author wrote a beautiful book and is actually the founder and CEO of the Happiness Research Institute, which, what's more important than that? And the book is one of several he has composed, and this one I really love. It's uh, My Huga Home, How to Make Home Your Happy Place. It's an honor to finally welcome to the family, Mr. Mike Viking. Thanks for coming on, Mike. Thanks for having me, Paul. I wondered, were you like a happy child growing up? Did you have peace of mind? What were your early years like? I was blessed and privileged in, in that sense uh, i had a happy happy childhood um and when we look at you know what matters is it nature or nurture in, in terms of happiness it's both uh, and also external conditions we can see some people are born more or less happy uh, there's some really good uh, uh twin studies using the uh, twin register at the um University of Minnesota, and you can see identical twins have actually fairly similar happiness levels, despite uh, them maybe having uh, different uh, life circumstances. Um, so we're born more or less happy, and 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 I was I was fortunate enough to be be born relatively happy. So uh, so that that's a good starting point. Uh, and then, as you say, uh, I live in Denmark, born and raised, uh, and that's another uh, strong card to have in in the sort of deck uh, of of happiness. But yeah. Good, uh, good, safe, happy childhood, all in all. Were you always a curious person seeking like truth or why do things work? Um, when it came to people, yes. Um, I've always been interested in understanding why we do what we do. Um, doing all sorts of weird studies uh, from, you know, which, imagine you come into a bus. And uh, the bus is full of uh, seats that fill two people. And every seat has one person in it. So where do you sit? Um, studies like that uh, I would go into. I would look at um, um, dating sites, uh, what language do people use, and could see the more attractive people were, the less words they would use. So. So all sorts of weird sociological studies uh, have always been my, my interest. Um, and then um, I was working uh, at a think tank around uh, sustainability uh, here in Copenhagen um, for about seven years. Uh, but then one late evening in the office in, in 2012, I stumbled upon something called the World Happiness Report. Uh, that had just been published uh, commissioned by the UN. And it was quite a comprehensive report looking at the sort of overview of uh, research within happiness and well-being. And it also included a ranking of 
national happiness levels in 150 countries around the world. And Denmark was in first place. And that just sort of piqued my uh, my curiosity. You know, why why was Denmark in first place along with the other Nordic countries? They were also doing uh, well and, and and all in the in the top ten. And I'd seen Denmark and and Sweden, Norway, Finland, Iceland in in other rankings doing really well when it came to quality of life or livability. And I just started to think, you know, there should be somebody in Denmark looking into this. There should be somebody looking into what policies, what factors drive well-being in societies. And then, you know, you're probably aware of this with, with what you do, but, you know, interesting things happen when you start to say, well, that's somebody, maybe that should be me. Um, and, and, and so I, I got the idea of, soon after I read the report of, of um, starting a, a think tank on happiness. Um, I thought it would be really fun to work with happiness and well-being. And I was, you know, laying awake at night thinking about the different sort of angles you could look at happiness uh, from, you know, from you know, the architecture of happiness. How does the way we design our cities impact well-being? Uh, as we talked about earlier, you know, what what's the role of genetics or biology and sort of upbringing, education? Uh, how does money and happiness relate? All sorts of different things. Um and, and the thought of working with a developing field like happiness research also got me quite excited. Um, I, I thought it would be fun to be one of those pioneers, you know, you know discovering new fields in the sort of scientific uh, map. Um, but, you know, 2012, you know, we were still, you know, suffering uh, from the financial crisis. And, you know, I had a well-paying, steady job at the uh, established think tank. Um, and I thought maybe it's a little bit risky to start something as crazy as a happiness research institute. Um, but then the, the the other thing that happened that year was um, I had a mentor who I really looked up to. Uh, in many ways, I thought he was an excellent uh, colleague and boss. And 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 in in his private life, he looked like a a really good dad and 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 a husband. And he was fifteen years older than me, so I thought, okay, in fifteen years, that's you know that's who I want to be. Um, and unfortunately, also in 2012, he got very ill and, and died. Um, and he was 49 at the time. So many years ago, my own mother had also died when she was 49. So naturally, I start to reflect, well, what if I only live to see 49? What should I spend my years doing? Um, the 15 years I have left uh, from, from 2012. Um, and I thought, I can continue with this job, which is fine, but I'm not as passionate about it as I was in the beginning, or you know, I can try this crazy thing and start a think tank on, on happiness. And a couple of months after I had read um, the World Happiness Report, I, I, uh, I quit and, and started uh, uh, with, with what I thought was a, was a good idea and a bad laptop. Um, and now that's actually, that's actually 10 years ago, more or less today. Um, and uh, today we are uh, we're ten people, um, and basically trying to solve the questions of you know um, how can we measure happiness? Why are some people happier than others? And what can we do to improve quality of life? And you know your your opening questions were was uh, you know was I a happy child or did I have a happy childhood? I, I I was and I did, but I think also working with happiness research for the past decade. 
have also improved my happiness levels because it's a field and it's a job that you take home with you in a good way. You start naturally to reflect on your own choices and what you do and how you design your life. Um, so I think that's going to be the best decision that I'm, I'm going to make uh, in, in my career uh, and something I plan to do for, for the rest of my life, basically. That's a beautiful hero's journey, no matter where we are. It was a long-winded answer to a simple question. <laughs> there always seems to be, for people, I've done 1,100 of these, there seems to be, no matter what, if they're poor, rich, famous, or whatever it is, there always are these forks in the road where you take the safe path or you go the road less traveled. Your heart, your soul longs for something, but security and safety says don't leave the harbor. You'd be crazy to do that. And oftentimes that path too contributes to society, the greater whole has intrinsic and altruistic values. And then if you choose that, if you push through the fear, there seems to be great rewards on the other side of it. I completely agree. Is serving and being part of something larger than oneself and not just trying to accumulate assets that we ultimately know we can't take with us is that one of the core pillars of a happy, fulfilled sense of life and purpose and not being a martyr where you run yourself into the ground, but, or stand, you don't have to stand in front of a tank in Tiananmen Square, but just where your vocational life, whatever that is, it could be at a schoolroom, it can be anything, but it actually feels like it's a contribution that helps others. Is that a core pillar to a, a, a more resonant life, a more life that feels like it's worth living completely yes and 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 actually no matter uh how we see happiness and and also whether we look at the individual or national level so if you look at the country level uh, we can see countries that have a higher level of generosity so something as you know simple as have people donated money in the past month that will explain a part of the variance in happiness levels when we look globally. Um, but at the individual level, we can also see uh, that's a, a key component. Uh, and of course, a lot of us uh, on a on a day-to-day -day basis might experience what we call help us high. So we feel good when we do good. And we can see people who are involved in volunteer work are happier, um, and, and, you know, whether we look at happiness as whether we felt happy yesterday and enjoyed positive emotions, or whether we look at happiness as a sense of purpose or meaning in life, as Aristotle did, or whether we look at happiness as sort of overall life satisfaction. Um, uh, being involved in volunteer work will have a positive impact uh, on, on all three. Um, so that, that's always a, a good sort of strategy um to 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 apply and in denmark <clears throat> we also often talk about something called the abc for mental health and abc stands for doing something active uh doing something uh, together with other people so where you belong and doing something meaningful where you commit to something um and you know working in for example a, a charity group well that's uh, often active it's uh, usually together with other people and, and certainly meaningful uh, so that will tick all three boxes um but yeah being 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 part of something bigger than yourself uh being part of a community 
uh, is also a, a key component. Um, I usually say the best predictor of whether we are happy or not is whether we are happy with our relationships, uh, whether we have a, a good, tight, um, positive social network. Um, so if I can't ask people directly how happy they are or how satisfied they are with life, I would ask them how happy they are with their uh, relationships because that gives me a pretty good uh, indicator on uh, where they are on the happiness scale. That's brilliant. And I would think and include the relationship to yourself and for me personally, some sort of spirituality, definitely not religion, dogmatic structured things, but if you want to say higher power, if it was AA or the universe or whatever, um, for me, my own happiness and sense of peace in the world was tied to meditation practices and bringing more awareness into my life and seeing the wonder in everything and, and feeling like, while I don't understand even a fraction of it, that the infinite universe was brilliant and, but also loving and that I may not understand and I might even suffer, but somehow it was just this beautiful thing happening that I was a part of. Do you have any component like that in your life? Um, I do in terms of the wonder of nature and a sort of a connection with the great outdoor. Uh, I'm always happier when I'm out, um, when I'm in nature, whether it's by the sea or in the forest. Um, and I can see I'm, I'm, I'm not alone in that, uh, in that endeavor. Um, one of my favorite studies is where uh, people uh, using their phones are asked one, two, or three times per day how happy they are right now. Um, and, you know, no big surprise, we follow people over time. We can see they're happier on Fridays and Saturdays than they are on Mondays and Tuesdays. Um, but uh, the study also collects the GPS data. So when you report how happy you are, are you at home, are you in an office, are you in an urban environment, or are you, you know, in the mountains or by the sea? And, and across the board, we can see when, when people are in nature, when they're on hikes, when they are visiting the beach, when they are, uh, you know, walking trail in, in the mountains, uh, they feel happier than they, they do in, um, in an urban environment. So I think that that's quite universal, um, that, that, that we get, um, outdoor things, you know, we, we enjoy being in nature. And that's, that, that's at least something we can see in the data. That would be me then. I, I'm not that unique. I love being outside. I can only spend a few days like in New York City, no offense to our New York listeners. And in those three days, I'm in Central Park more and more each day. I need... Right. <laughs> People say, you're always in beautiful spots. And I, it's almost like saying uh, that a dolphin, a porpoise is always in the water. It's like, yes, <laughs> that's where we have to be to live. I, I mean, I love I love nature. Nature, I always say, is if I had it, that is my church. That's where I find it so easily. And I, and also it finds me. You know, I was thinking structurally, too, and your country in particular. Uh, isn't it true that in terms of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if you know you're going to have housing, something to eat, health care is provided, if you wish to learn at a higher level, there you go. If you have a child, hey, a little prenatal, we got you. A little postnatal, make sure you take your vacations. In a lot of European countries, they make you. Aren't you more inclined as an individual and then as a collective to be a healthier, happier society with that rather than 
but sadly, my own country, America, where it's sort of a, <laughs> you know, the Lord of the Flies on crystal meth, <laughs> eating its own. To me, that seems very obvious. Did the studies support this? Yes, it does. Uh, the data supports this, and and I completely, uh, completely agree with you. I mean, to to me, it's unsurprising that um, countries which most developed rich countries do have basic universal health care um, that, you know, um, provides for their citizens, that gives them a good work-life balance and four or five, six weeks of paid vacation per year and pays for, you know, college and university and give them a, a, a stipend of, I think it's about a thousand US dollars per month the students get now. And that that should be one of the happiest countries in the world. To me, that's far from controversial. It's 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 obvious, um, and we can see that in in the data. And I think when we look at the the Nordic countries, there's simply less to worry about. Uh, what the Nordic um, sort of uh, social welfare model have done is remove some of the causes for unhappiness. Um, and a lot of these rankings uh, rankings are based on a national average. And of course, if you increase the bottom, that raises the average, and that's why we come out on top. Um, but I think it's also important to underline that you know unemployment benefits, um, free education, uh, free healthcare, it's not just something that benefits the poor. Uh, I think it very much also benefits the rich. Um, um, there's 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 simply less to worry about. There's less crime. There's less um, to be concerned of. So I think it's 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 a win win for all. And I think it's 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 interesting to have conversations, especially with American journalists, who will say, you know, how can you be so happy? You pay so much in taxes. And I like to say maybe we are happy because we're paying a lot in taxes because we're seeing the taxes as an investment in the common good. Um, something that we can all benefit from um, and something we all get a, a, an increase in, in, in quality of life from. Um, so there are some, 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 I think, large differences there from a Nordic European uh, perspective uh, to an American where, you know, often I, I hear um, the view or the perspective on the government in the U.S. as something you have to be protected from. Where I think in a Nordic, Scandinavian, European context, we see the government as something that protects us from companies or the market or um, disease. Um, so I think there are some 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 quite big differences on on on, on that uh, on that front. You used an excellent phrase. I feel like taxes need to be rebranded, and I hate that word. But as investments, these are investments in ourselves, our families, our future generations, each other, our bridges so they don't collapse upon us like a lottery that, you know, well, I hope they don't break when I'm on it or wherever. It's an investment, a collective investment. And you still have people that, uh, I have a friend there who's worth almost a billion dollars. He's given away millions of dollars. He's very wealthy. He feels too wealthy. So he, they're spreading it around it's not like everybody is got exact the exact same income wearing a, a gray smock, you know, with one horse pulling. It's there's still tremendous affluence, but no one is dying because they don't have insulin or food. The food is better. So the question, like even when I said what about the uh, 
the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. What blows my extraterrestrial mind being from another planet is if this is so obvious, why is America and other, why are other countries not doing this? Why not do what's the healthier, greater thing for the whole? Why not steal every great idea from Denmark, Sweden, Norway, or anywhere, even if Tahiti has a better idea? Do you have any theories on, like, if I was looking at you individually, why, what is going on with the human species that this is not the case? In Mike's humble opinion. Well, it's it's not my field of expertise, but um, I think we're probably too set in our own truths to be open-minded in that sense. Um, and I see what you mean in terms of ideas spread not as fast and often as we would like to. But on the other side, on the other hand, I, I also see um, I see countries looking at, for instance, the Nordic countries in terms of what can we copy in terms of policies that will improve quality of life. So <clears throat> at least pre-pandemic, the country we got most visits from, delegations um, at the Happiness Research Institute here in Copenhagen was South Korea, uh, which is really interesting because South Korea has had this um, tremendous um, journey going from a very poor country to a really rich country over the past a few generations, um, but have struggled with converting the wealth into well-being. Uh, so currently they have uh, the highest suicide rate in uh, OECD, uh, twice as high as Denmark or, or the US. Um, and, and, and the good thing is they realize that something has to give, something has to change. We have to redesign, reform our education system, uh, perhaps work-life balance. Um, we have to go abroad and learn from some of the countries that are doing well in terms of, of delivering quality of life for, for citizens. So I see some countries being really open and curious and, um, and, and, and visiting places for, for inspiration. Um, less so from the US. Um, unfortunately, because you're such a, a, a large uh, country, um, but um, but but some are some are curious, some are looking for inspiration. Would that be almost a collective arrogance and ego, and almost like an individual? The ego is a real enemy of happiness and well-being. Mm. I'm I'm not sure it has to do with 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 ego necessarily, but I think it's also because um, people will see. Denmark from the U.S. And, and think, well, it's such a small country. Uh, the U.S. It, it could never work here. Um, you know, we're six million. You are what, three hundred and twenty? Um, universal healthcare could never work, or the level of uh, you know free universities they have in Denmark could never work in, in U.S. because we're such a large country compared to a small country. Um, so, so, so. I'm not sure what it is, but I mean, you have you have forces that are that are working for what I see would be would be good. Um, I know, um, you know, you know, Denmark and Scandinavia is basically the sort of wet dream of Bernie Sanders. Uh, I know uh, uh, AOC might also have some uh, some similar ideas to to what we see as not as progressive, uh, but just sort of common sense in a in a Danish setting. Um, so, um, so I think, I think you, you have, you have people who are working in the direction of, of, uh, what we see as, as common sense in, in the Nordic countries. 
Will you talk about uh, from your new book, some of the basic principles that create such a happy home? I found a lot of them to reinforce my own beliefs, but there were a lot, there were some wonderful things in there that kind of illuminated me too. No pun intended, like with the candles. I love candles. <laughs> and how, how did you come to up with this particular thing? It's a great idea because I feel like if you don't love where you live, even if you have a great job and relationships, I, I bet that would be really hard to be happy. Yeah. I mean, we, we spend so much time indoors, uh, even pre pandemic, but the latest book, my, my Hugo home, uh, the idea for that came a few years ago, actually. I, I had written about Hugo back in 2016. And um, in that book, there's a lot of focus on lighting uh, because Hugo is this sort of art of creating a nice warm atmosphere where people feel relaxed and enjoy simple pleasures in life and connect with other people. And... Um, I spoke to this Canadian guy who had read Hugo and he had gone out and uh, bought a, a set of candle holders and he started to light uh, candles for dinner at home with his family. And um, he has, together with his wife, uh, three uh, teenage sons. And at first, you know, teenagers being teenagers, they started to tease their dad and said, you know, dad, what's going on with the candles? You know, should we leave? You want to have some romantic time with mom? Um, but he told me eventually the boys, they actually started to light the candles for dinner. And it became this family dinner ritual. And I was really happy to hear that now their family dinners last 20 minutes longer. Because of the candles, it changes the atmosphere around the dinner table. So you know, the boys, they sit down, they sip their wine, the Canadians, um, and they talk about their day. And I thought, isn't it interesting? No, I, I don't think candles are going to change the world, but isn't it interesting how a little change around a dinner table changes how a family uh, interacts? Um, and what else can we look at in our home where we can sort of stack uh, the deck in our favor when it comes to well-being? And, and, and since then, one of the studies we've done uh, at the Happiness Research Institute looked at how our homes and happiness is connected. Uh, so we looked in uh, 10 different countries. We had, I think it was 13,000 homes. And we could see um, um, that a, a large share of our overall happiness is correlated with, with being satisfied with your home. Um, so I, I just started to dive into this and, and, and wanted to explore, you know, what is the architecture of happiness? How can we create places where we feel great? And I think, you know, you have experienced this. You, you travel a lot. I'm, I'm sure a lot of your, your listeners have experienced this as well. Uh, sometimes you just walk into a place and you feel nice and you want to stay there. And other times you walk into a place and you can't get out uh, fast enough. Combined with the sort of, you know, period we've been through lately, um, a, a time of turbulence with you know, a global pandemic, uh, a war on the European continent. Um, you know, it, it, it's a turbulent world, but you know, our homes is a place where we actually have some influence over what is happening. Um, so I, I wanted to sort of help people with understand how can we control our home environment and, and use that uh, to improve our, our well-being. So, so that that was the aim uh, with with uh, my hookah home, and you executed it. 
my whole life I've had a great disdain for television. It's almost like a frequency. If I was a dog that would drive me out of the, the room and I don't have one in my house. I, now I have a screen in one, you know, one place where I can hook it up for movies. Do, in, you have found also, isn't television, doesn't television have a negative impact on our happiness and our eating habits, the way we digest food. I've read all these different essays on it. I've had experts on. It's not a positive thing. And I'm not talking about watching a movie. It's the commercials. It's the quick cutting. The, what passes for news in America, basically, if it bleeds, it leads. It's very negative. It makes you want to hang yourself. And these are the positive things, if I'm joking around. But I mean, is do you, have you found that too personally? And what's your I don't know what Danish TV is like, but what are your feelings lar- uh, in the large realm about television in general for happiness? <laughs> so um, I'm not a fan. Um, so so several aspects, but but from from a sort of physical point of view, health point of view, um, there is really really good studies from the UK that have looked at kids born around the year 2000 and they followed them uh, up until uh, adulthood and they can see if if for example kids have a tv in their bedroom at age eight you know then three years later those kids will have a significantly higher risk of being obese due to that television um and you know, the UK, they have BBC. In Denmark, we also have a, 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 a national TV channel that is without commercials because here we're not even talking about sort of the effect of commercials because you are exactly right. Um, you know, commercials are uh, just, you know, basically a constant bombardment of companies telling you that you cannot be happy without you owning this thing. Um, so, in and it's not a new thing, you know, it, if, if you watched um, or if you came to, to Copenhagen and, and visited, we, we opened a, a happiness museum uh, here in Copenhagen. And in one of our rooms uh, in the museum, uh, we have decorated, decorated it with uh, commercials from all sorts of, of different uh, companies that are essentially promising uh, that you'll be happy if you buy this car or this brand of vodka or um uh, commercials from the uh, i think 30s or 40s that were trying to sell uh, corsets uh, to women because you know how happy could a chubby girl be as it read uh, in the commercial so it's, it's not a new thing it's an old thing um but yeah um you know we, we're spending a lot of resources on on buying things that are not going to make us happy uh, you know, famously to impress people we do not like um so so um so so yeah money does matter for happiness uh because being without money is a cause of unhappiness um and we can see going from from low income to mid income that impacts your happiness but going from mid income to high income will not uh, because then we start to buy you know stupid stuff like um serenity dog pots or uh what do i know that 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 certainly is not going to make the dog nor us uh happy I know it's not your uh, area of expertise, but I keep bombarding you with these other questions and you're being incredibly uh, smart about it and also diplomatic. Is corporate capitalism compatible with both a healthy individual and a healthy planet and a happy planet and a happy person? Unbridled corporate capitalism like we have in America. Uh, 
<laughs> Short answer, no. <laughs> but it's, it's interesting because you also ask about happy plants. You know, in, in when we first started talking, I, I, I mentioned that I used to work for a fintech on sustainability. I think it's really interesting that I often hear myself talking about the same things today, working with happiness and well-being, as I was saying and talking about when I was working with sustainability. Um, when it comes to cities, you know, sustainable cities, what makes them sustainable is also what makes them happy. Um, and there's a lot of links uh, between the two. You know, Copenhagen is a very bike-friendly uh, city. Uh, a majority of people, we bike to work. Uh, if you're a student, if you are CEO, you bike to work. Uh, the majority of members of parliament, they bike to work, um, which makes the city better. There's less pollution. Uh, there's less cars on the road, which actually also make, makes it nicer for the people who do need to drive in cars because there's less, uh, there's, there's fewer other cars, so they get there faster. Um, it keeps us uh, relatively fit, uh, having an active commute to work, um, but it also makes the, 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 the city greener. So investing in bike infrastructure that allows us to get uh, to from, from A to B in a, in a fast, convenient way on a bicycle uh, makes us um, healthier. We can also see from studies having an, an, an active commute uh, is a happier commute. Um, so there's there's a lot of links there. Uh, another example would be the harbor baths uh, that have been uh, running in Copenhagen, I think now for 20 years. So um, they spend a lot of resources in uh, cleaning up the water in the uh, inner harbor in Copenhagen, uh, so a sustainability initiative. Uh, but that means that people can now swim in the inner harbor of Copenhagen, something that gives you know a great uh, sense of of quality of life, um, and something I enjoy very much uh, to do in 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 uh, summer. You know, go for a swim and then a a beer with with a couple of my friends down by the harbor. Um, and in all fairness, our summer is about two days and then it's back to winter again. But those two days are, are quite amazing. Um, and 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 it's something you can do whether you're rich or poor, right? It's something I can do whether I lost my my job and my my uh, my savings tomorrow. Um, and I think that's also another element of great cities. They, they remove the price tag varies on happiness and remove the power that money can sometimes uh, have over us. But we just see a lot of, of connection between sustainability and 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 well-being does becoming a parent affect and influence one's happiness one way or the other and a sense of meaning in the world oh so if, if we take the latter and you know you're, you're putting on your aristotle hat with that question because as we talked about earlier Aristotle, he was actually, he was the first happiness researcher, at least in a, in a European context. So he was working with a lot of the same questions uh, more than 2000 years ago that I'm working with today. And he saw um, meaning as happiness. So the good life, the happy life is the meaningful life. And of course, as, as parents will recognize, having a kid brings a tremendous amount of purpose to your life. Um, so that's the good news. The, the the sort of the the, the the medium news is if you look at happiness as what kind of emotions do we experience on a day-to-day -day basis 
positive emotions or negative emotions. So joy, excitement, uh, pride, um, uh, happiness, um, inspiration, or stress, worry, anxiety. Um, kids will probably uh, have you report higher levels across the board. Right? <laughs> so you know, extreme high levels of happiness, also extreme high levels of worry and 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 uh, and, uh, and stress. Um, so 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 it's 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 a it's a it's a package uh, that has uh, different components. And if we look at at happiness as an overall satisfaction with life, um, and if we look at people who have kids who are living at home, so here we're not looking at you know, whether you have kids uh, and you are 80 years old and in a nursery home, how does that affect your happiness? But no, you, you, have, you have kids living at home. Um, it depends where in the world we look. So in, in, in countries um, that doesn't have good family-friendly policies, um, you know, if they don't have paid maternity or paternity leave, and yes, US, I'm looking at you, um, if they don't have, you know, relatively short working hours and, and, and paid vacation, then having kids can sometimes be um, something that has a, a negative effect on overall life satisfaction in, the, in, in, in that sense. And if, if we're looking at, 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 um, at uh, kids living at home. But um, countries with, with, with good family-friendly policies and also countries where the culture is more um, looking at a family broader than, than we do in a lot of, of, of countries, you know, instead of just being two highly stressed parents trying to make lo logistics work, but being better at incorporating the, gen the grandparent generations uh, into raising the kids, um, that seems also to have a, a positive effect. So, so Spain, Portugal, uh, are really good in in that sense. Um, so the, the the perfect world would be having uh, sort of uh, Norwegian Swedish family friendly policies and uh, Portuguese grandparents. Uh, that would be a really good setup. Um, but so it depends where we look. It depends what kind of happiness we're looking at, and um, it also depends on on your age and and the the age of your kids. Mike, how do you personally, and also if you have any tips, how do we cope with keeping our happiness and peace in our spirit intact when we are aware, obviously you're very aware. I have a lot of guests who come on who are involved in the world in a variety of ways, people that listen, same. How does one keep one's peace, you know, when they're watching the climate crisis or climate breakdown or the rise of fascism here in America or around the world or you name it? And do you have any tips for that? And what do you do? to both stay connected so you're not just out there in you know the mountains and you have no idea what's going on which is okay but being aware but yet not not losing yourself in all of that i think i try and understand the difference between things i can and cannot control the sort of whole stoic um take on it um so I, I can control a global pandemic, but I can control, you know, what's for dinner. Um, I can't control that Russia decided to invade Ukraine, but I could choose 
as we did last year to donate um, a month of profit, profits from our Happiness Museum to the Red Cross in Ukraine. Um, so, 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 I don't have control over climate change, but but I but I do have control over um, sort of my consumption and whether I use the bike, the bicycle, or the car. Um, so, so I, I try to approach it from from that point of view. Um, and and um, that helps me um, sort of focus on on my zone of control. Um, but yeah, it's 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 difficult. It's it's a turbulent world. It has been. It, it always will be. Um, but but that helps me sort of tackle it. Great answer, and I love the stoicism. I had uh, someone on one of the guests, and he said, "I'm Sisyphus, but I've I'm accepted the fact that I'm here to just push the stone up." the hill every day of the mountain right here and then it rolls down and i'm okay with that i've accepted it so i'm not it's hard he said but i'm not suffering going why do i have to push the stone I, i've heard the view is nice from up there he says it is and if he's you know <laughs> and he's got a good chiropractor right <laughs> here's an extremely important question perhaps the most important question how hard is it for say a uh international podcaster to spend an, an extended amount of time in, say, Denmark. Do you have any insight on that? Do they need a famous sponsor who writes books? How does it work? How does what work? Uh, like, say, I, I personally wanted to spend four or five months in Denmark. Are, are, is that something that's possible for somebody like me? Or I know they have strict immigration laws. I don't need to become a Danish citizen. But are, <laughs> are they open to, like, uh, someone coming in and doing like research firsthand and experiencing the culture and extended i would i would imagine so but be sure for your own happiness reasons to you know pick uh the four or five months uh in the warmer season uh, so you'll experience those two days of summer that we get we get that is built into the what matters most algorithm everything is based <laughs> on sunshine and warmth actually <laughs> We invested heavily in that. I am allergic to uh, three, you know, short hours of sun sunshine. You're just making a beautiful impact in the world. Uh, as we let you go, you've been very generous with your time because I know you have a lot going on. Imagine that because it's true. You're speaking to people all over the world, but it's really just you, me, and them, and ultimately you and them. What would you say to them in closing? Almost as if you were say you were talking to your 16 year old self, 18 year old self. I just want to tell you this before you go out in the world, or I know it's hard out there like syphysis. What bit of wisdom, inspiration, support, empowerment, uh, advice would you give to them here? Since we have an amazing opportunity with this platform to reach people, what would you say from your heart to their heart? I think a couple of pieces of advice. I think the, the best universal advice I can give in terms of how to improve our well-being is the ABC for mental health I talked about earlier. Um, because people are different, people have different positions, but doing something active, doing something together with other people, doing something meaningful is 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 one of the best things we can do if we're interested in, in sort of boosting our well-being on a day-to-day -day basis. What that might look like is, well, in you know, the autumn, I went to a forest with a group of friends and we looked for edible mushrooms. So we were active, we're outside, we're together uh, and we're doing something meaningful. We're looking for food. Um, and another aspect 
I would say because, you know, from time to time, we're going to worry and we're going to have bad days. And that's just part of the human experience. You know, I've looked at data now for 10 years. Nobody experiences being happy all the time. Um, we experience heartbreak and failure and struggle. And that is what it means to be human. Um, and I think what we can do in on those lousy days that, that we experience is ask ourselves, you know, six months from now, is this going to matter? And sometimes the answer is yes, uh, but but often the answer hopefully will be no. And I think, at least for me, that helps me overcome uh, those uh, moments. Um, so I think th those would be my sort of two starting points. Um, if, if, if we want to, um, yeah, let our 18-year-olds know that, you know, this shall pass too. Uh, and, 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 and we do have influence over how we feel. Yes, genetics matter. Yes, it matters where we're born and, born and what policies we live under. Um, but we are actually also have the, um, the opportunity to boost our well-being. You've been listening to the What Matters Most podcast, a 100% listener-supported program. If you feel inspired, please go to our Patreon page at www.patreon.com backslash whatmattersmost and join our family. So until the next time, stay inspired and in the light.